This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest for you today. This guy's got an interesting story. He's a commercial airline pilot, but he, he now lives overseas. He manages and owns mobile home parks uh, throughout the United States, mostly in the Southeast, but he'll he'll tell you more of, your story, of his story. Please let me welcome my guest, Dustin Maxwell. Dustin, thanks for coming on, man. How you doing, Ferd? Good. Well, Tell Thanks us a little bit more about your background, how you got into this, how you got into this space, uh, how you're pulling it off from uh, overseas now, and and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, um, started out, heck, you know, I've always had a business sense, you know, or something, you know, little kids started mowing lawns. I think that's lots of common one. <laughs> then I moved on to renting or, or bartering out my dad's Playboys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I tried little things here and there when I was in high school and stuff. And then uh, finally, wife and I lived in Atlanta and couldn't afford a house. So we bought a rental house, started cash flowing like a thousand dollars a month. It was actually had an in-law suite on it. So uh, started that and it just took a, you know, it took a few years until the, the light bulb went off and said, Hey, wait, you know, what am I doing? So uh, continued on and Kept on looking for houses that have in-law suites and extra units. And then I realized that uh, we wanted to move overseas or something. So I had a reason why. I said, you know, I, I need to do something bigger. I need to, I need some scale. And the single family model, you know, small multifamilies just wasn't in the works. So continued on and uh, looked at apartment complexes. But during this time period, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it dumb, but there's a lot of accidental money that has been made by people. <laughs> and it was, you know, I had a mentor and it was pretty competitive. Lots of, lots of properties were being priced way too much. And I remember that my parents had a, a trailer up on the mountain where I grew up at. And it was a nice community. And so I started getting into that niche and moved on from there. Great. So your story is not unlike a lot of people where you figure out rental properties, real estate's a good idea. You want to scale, you look at multifamily, multifamily is super competitive, generally then overpriced, hard to make it work. Mobile home parks, which today, you know, just sitting here in 2022, mobile home parks are becoming ever more competitive. So it's, I wouldn't say they're overpriced at the level of multifamily, but it's hard to find deals, right? So how do you yeah. source deals? And how do you how do you um, how do you make it work? I mean, because obviously mobile home parks are an area where it has a lot of the same benefits of, of uh, multifamily apartments, but not yet as institutional, not yet as uh, attractive, so to speak, because of some of the historical stigmas. So there's an opportunity to buy them at sensible prices and make better yield. So tell us you know, how you how you're sourcing them, and then and I want to hear how you manage them too. Um, obviously now with you being overseas, it's, it's a different animal time zone and other than when you were, you know, back in the South or back in the East coast. Yeah. So let's, let's cover some of that. All right. Well, originally we started, you know, just did the work online hustling and 
it's all about connections. You know, it's reaching out and putting yourself out there and, and saying like, Hey, you know, I'm a new investor. Um, it's not, you have to be proactive. You can't just say, teach me, teach me. You have to, you have to show them what you can do for them or what you can offer for them. Or, you know, I used to, heck, when I was learning, I used to fly out to LA to meet a, a multifamily operator just to learn and, you know, learn the ropes and stuff like that. Um, pounding it down, talking with the brokers. And then finally, you know, after you get that first deal, then people will really start taking you serious and stuff. You, know, you can go to the, there's lots of uh, conferences all over the United States. And those are really good uh, um, idea generators, motivations, everything. So you can get your name kind of out there and communicate with other people and, you know, put a few minds together and, and the possibilities are endless. No, I think you you make one good point there that I want to touch on in particular. And that's once you get your first deal, I had a client that was in the office a couple weeks ago and her, in my opinion, and in her opinion as well, she was probably paying more for the deal than she wanted to, but it was a small deal. She's like, you can, you know, if it's a $400,000 deal, maybe you can pay 450, 480. And if, even if you acknowledge you're kind of quote overpaying, you get a chance to learn on a smaller deal with less risk, but, but also importantly, you've got one. And then when you call the brokers next time, say, hi, I'm a mobile home park owner. I'm, I saw your listing or, Hey, I'm a mobile home park owner. What do you have? That's a pocket listing or what do you have? Here's what I'm looking for. Size, scale, uh, geography, things like that. And they're like, Oh, cool. And they'll talk to you versus if I've had a lot of clients to say, the brokers don't ever return my call. When I start when I say, Hey, I just finished the boot camp, and I'm looking for my first deal. They're like, not wasting my time on you. So yeah. it's it, with the market being as competitive as it is today, if you're going for a, a deal through a broker, having one in the tank is, is really helpful. So I tell a lot of people, you know, you might have to overpay a little for the first deal or take one, take a deal that has a little hair on it, or you got to just find it off market and finding deals off market is not an easy task. Right. Um, but you, if you find one or two or three off market, well, now you, you've got, you know, you know, the lingo. I mean, I had somebody one day call and they, they used a term like, um, I'd like to buy your park. Um, how many doors does it have? I'm like, okay, well, you clearly don't own a mobile home park because in apartment world, we talk about like how many doors or maybe how many units in mobile home park. We say how many pads or how many lots or how many sites. I, I never hear true mobile home park owners say how many doors is it? So when this person said that, I'm like, okay, you're, you don't own a lot of parks, you know, which means, you know, it may mean you're, you're my ideal buyer because you don't know what you're doing, but it may mean you're not my ideal buyer because you can't close. You just listen to something on bigger pockets about apartments and you say, Oh, I'll do it in mobile home parks. You have to, uh, um, sometimes you have to harness down that, that, uh, ambition and that excitement to not, uh, not cause a, a disruption, you know, with brokers, especially, you know, they're super busy right now. So usually unless you have spent a, a decent amount of time, I, I, you know, email them a bunch of times first. Lots of times they don't, you know, taking phone calls and stuff is, uh, you know, takes a lot of their valuable time. And once they, you know, converse with you, like you said, you know, they, they see how you, how you uh, communicate with them, if you know the lingo and what your understanding level and stuff like that. And then it, then it's, they'll usually chat with you a little bit more and no. get you Agreed. One thing I did, I give for tip for a lot of people too, is just get on the broker's e-blast list. I mean, I'm on 
all Super kinds important. of, I mean, I get deals yeah. every day from brokers and it doesn't take that much time just to quick delete, delete. Cause most of them are in regions of the country that I'm not buying. So I'm like, okay, there's, here's the deal in California. I'm not buying California delete, but I've reached out to these brokers in the past and said, put me on your list because I actually have an LOI out yesterday that I think I'm going to get back and it's on a, it's a listed deal in Iowa and I don't even heard of this broker, but somehow I'm, I got a, I'm on their email list. I must've at one point peppered them. And I'm like, so it was, it was, it seemed like to me at first blush, a very reasonable price, which is not that common, especially and it's in Des Moines, which is a really good market where I already own one park. So right out of the gate, I see it. I send it to my analyst, say full price offer today. And we got out the door and I'm hoping to get it tied up with my binding LOI so that I have, I have time to go look. I haven't even looked at it yet, right? I haven't, I haven't driven there. It's three hours away, but I certainly will drive there as soon as I get it tied up. But just being on all these lists, I saw that come right out of the gate, took action. And I'm, my hope is to get it tied up with my binding LOI like today before it goes, uh, goes a week or two, because my assumption is they're going to get at least five offers, full price or, or higher, which means then there's going to be a call for offers and, that, and then I'm out. Right. Then there's somebody else with, with more money or lower yield expectation is going to be like, I'll pay the five cap or a four cap where I came out and it was like a 6.5 cap under market rents in Des Moines. I'm like on market today's world. That's pretty cool. Um, I'll, I'll jump on that and I can get it up to a seven, seven and a half cap, you know, fairly quickly. Um, so, you know, just to kind of a, a tip there for people is just, as you're saying, you know, reach out to brokers and if you in, get on their e-blast list and then show you're active, you know, respond to listings and be like, hey, send me information on this or, hey, I'm, I'm not looking in California. Do you have anything in Ohio? And then they, they may or may not have that for you. Another thing, too, that, that we got hit with a lot is um, in the beginning, my ability to travel and stuff like that is is a little bit different from other people because of one of my uh, my my old day job, but uh, you have to have a plan. You have to, you know, if you're calling people that are hours and hours away, you know, these, one of the first things brokers want to know is, okay, so why is this person calling me and they're five States away? Uh, is there, you have to be able to uh, explain it, you know, you know, my brother used to live in that hometown or, you know, are you familiar with the area and stuff like that? So that helps out a lot too. Do you tell them, do you tell them you're a pilot and that you, you could be there and be there this afternoon? <laughs> I, I've done it. I've done it, you know. There, I've I've met with people from quite a ways away, so that that has really helped, you know, because uh, you know they don't have time for tire kickers right now. Right. Okay. Well, t tell me how you're operating these parks. Um, what, what what systems you have in place, or people you have in place, and how you're, you know, obviously, you know, we all need people to help on our team. So how are, how are you finding good people, and how are you interacting with them on a regular basis? Well, I kind of got uh, a bunch of friends and family involved in the real estate aspect of it back when I was in single family housing and started to, you know, do lots of reading about scaling and uh, systems, checklists and, and redundancy, you know, because of the, the pilot background, everything, ha <laughs> everything has to have a, uh, you know, uh, a backup there's no there can't be one point of failure so and that i think that translates pretty well in the real estate world you know if your main handy guy goes awol he's gone you have to have somebody else you have to have you know other people and stuff that can help you so i kind of work with a bunch of friends actually hmm. in the local area 
and that were doing single families and stuff too. And I said, Hey, come on, you know, join me on this. And, uh, you know, they had friends. And so now I've got some few people around the area in different parks. Uh, I've also got some, uh, people that I use online. I use some virtual assistants, got some over in the Philippines. I've got, uh, property managers for one one park that is uh mainly a latino park uh, they live in mexico city hmm. so it's it's all about uh open channels of communication and and structures and really organizing things and you know standard operating procedures is, is you know if this happens do this if this happens do this you know if you have a question raise it up to the manager or, or bring it to me Good. I'm particularly interested in your, your Hispanic park. I have a Hispanic park right now where I had a great manager and I relocated him to a different, more challenging park and he's doing a great job there, but I've had a real hard time keeping a good manager, the, the next manager, because the person has to be bilingual. Um, and I found somebody who was okay, that only spoke Spanish, but then they couldn't really talk to the rest of us. And then I've they go the only and I, and I have other people that wanted to have tackled the job a little bit, but they only speak English, so then they can't really relate to a lot of the residents. So they're you know translating on their phone. Hey, uh, this is what I'm you know. Hey, your rents do blah 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 blah, and it, it translates your rents do, but there's no rapport there, and it doesn't work as well. So I'm curious how you have how your uh, coworker out of Mexico City. Clearly, they're not on site knocking on doors. Clearly, they're not on site showing yeah. units. What, what scopes of work are they doing remotely? And then how are you doing the other scopes of work that can't be done remotely? Well, this park is uh, a few hours away from Atlanta where my old home base was. So I have a, uh, one of my partners is out there and he's frequently over there for the, the heavy lifting, you know, currently doing an expansion and stuff out there. But more or less, uh, it's a couple in Mexico City and one of them handles this you know one of them handles the, the the spanish side and the other one handles the english side and they work together as a team and you know they're both bilingual obviously too but um focus on that and then we have a on-site manager that pretty much uh he can communicate in english i guess we can put it like that we have some interesting conversations sometimes my spanish is not not too too excellent, but it's enough to get by. Um, that's pretty much it. They, you know, they do the the managing, they do the maintenance, uh, they do collections, they do uh, prep leases. Okay. Uh, that's you know, it, lots of uh, different scenarios. You know, with, with some of the, the the Spanish population. You know, some of the troubles and stuff that they have, and you know, a little bit. Uh, different areas for management wise too. You know, you come across some things that you you haven't seen before. You know, we're, we had a water bill. Uh, this was before the park was metered. Like, what the hell is going on with this water bill? It fluctuates in random times drastically. Well, once we were really digging around in the park, we found a little hidden area and hell, they had cornfields, bean fields, you know, they were, growing everything which is a it's great but <laughs> you can't use all that water for free you know you need to, wow. you need to pay for how, that. so how, how do they do this without notice it's like in their backyard or is there like 10 acres of timber it's and they pretty, cut a path it, it, has, the yeah, it has it had uh quite a bit of uh, acreage 
that, uh, you know, they had worked out a little uh, community garden, you know, in the back and stuff. So Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, I've thought about, we actually had one park where it was kind of community garden, but it was up to the residents to do what they want with it. And they just kind of quit doing it, you know? So it, it was there when we bought the park and we're like, it was, there was two acres of extra dirt. And we're like, I don't care if you guys, and we even tilled it for them. We even like got the, um, you know, I can't remember, they got the tiller out there and just broke up the soil for them. And then they planted, but then like a year later, apparently nobody wanted to do it. I don't know. Um, but it, that kind of feels cool. Like getting a community garden, go, but yeah, it, who's paying for the water is, <laughs> you know, maybe that's, maybe with the same problem because, we yeah. did submeter that park, so maybe we killed the maybe we killed the garden um, by virtue of somebody's got to pay for it. Um, and in hindsight, maybe I should I, maybe I would pay for that. You know, put an extra spigot there. But I've had the challenges where they you know they fill up their kiddie pool every night, dump it out. Because I mean, I used to have a kiddie pool, and you know we we didn't want to leave it sit there for two weeks with the same water, right? It gets stale and gets bugs in it and stuff like that so you want to dump it out and you know i make sure to check your insurance guy by the way you know generally for us pools got to be the little ones below knee high or they got to be fenced in which nobody wants to really fence them in but but once you start charging for water which you know is reasonable and then they they don't like they're using their pools anymore you know it's like you know i can't pay for everybody's pool excuse me 50 gallons every day you know like yeah have you you explored at all um splash pads in any of your parts i I have i have looked into it i do not have any splash pads um i'd say splash pads have a lot of pros over pools in on the in the in the sense that their maintenance costs maintenance costs are way less uh you don't really you definitely don't need a lifeguard compared to pool where you probably do or you at least have lots of signage um insurance is gonna be a lot more and then just general liability and risk of having a pool um, so what, what some people are doing is they're filling in their pools and just and putting concrete over them and then putting in a splash pad. Um, I've had a hard time getting someone who has them to that. I've got a couple of clients or acquaintances that have splash pads and I'll ask them, what's the cost? What's the ongoing maintenance cost? What's the ongoing water cost? That's the and, question. And, 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 they're, and they're always like, oh, I don't know. You know, somebody else handles that. Let me let me get back to you. And they got a hundred parks, so they don't know that, but they never get back to me. I'll ask them again. They're like, I can't really figure that out. So I'm like, okay, it sounds like a runaway check. Um, I've seen CapEx costs, you know, one-time cost I've heard as low as 25,000, as high as a hundred thousand. Um, I thought, you know, if I put in, if it's 25 grand, you know, that's not insignificant, but maybe you do that instead of a playground or you put a playground with it. And it's a nice amenity that attracts residents it's obviously going to be a relatively large park to make it worth it. Um, yeah. But in, in one that I have one park there, I had to fill like 50 pads, those 50 mobile home pads. And I was like, man, maybe bringing this in would be a nice amenity where I can charge an extra 25 a month and I'll sell 50 houses in half the time. I can justify it, but I never did it because I couldn't ever get, I, I wanted to monitor my OPEX costs because if it's going to cost me a thousand a month to run this thing, well, do the math, you know, 12,000 and 10 caps, 120 grand and a five caps, 240 grand. I don't want to lose 240 grand in my park because I got, you know, a, a splash pad there. And once you give it to people, you can't take it away. Right. So I, I, I personally haven't done it. I've, I've, I've looked at it, but I just never got over the hump. And then that park, while I was waiting, I just ended up filling up, you know, relatively easily. So I filled it anyway. So I'm like, well, I don't even need the splash pad. Um, and then I don't, and then you got to, depending on your park, 
how much land area are you going to sacrifice for it? Like I have one park yeah. where I, I really felt like I needed a playground and I gave up a pad for it. And you know, that's, that's expensive. You know, I had no, I had zero common areas. So like my mowing bill at this park is zero. Like that's how little grass I have. Um, wow. But I, I wanted a playground. So I, and I had a really crappy double wide that I had to demolish anyway. And this wasn't really a good park to bring in homes because it was older housing stock, rougher, rougher park. So I just demoed the double wide, put in the playground. People loved it. So I'm like, you know what? It probably was worth sacrificing one pad for this amenity that makes the community better. But that, that's another part of the analysis on the splash pad. I'll have to look that up then. Maybe but no, if you, if you figure, if you, if you get a square answer on it, let me know. I'll do the same. Yeah. I've barely even found companies to do it. The main company that had wide selection and would plan out for you is out of uh, British Columbia, actually. Interesting. Okay. So what other, what, are, what other tips or tricks or lessons learned or, or nightmares perhaps have you, have you learned over the years that you can share with our audience? Um, you know, starting out, there's always that, that uh, factor that you're kind of, you don't know how things are going to work. And that's, the, you know, the good thing about real estate, it is one of the, the things, it's not like studying for a test, either pass or fail. You have so much power and control just depending on how much work you put into it, you know, that, that old blood, sweat, and, and, and tears, like really real estate wise, you can overcome a lot of problems and issues, even financial things, just by depending on how much you put into it, you know? So I, I, I like that aspect of it. And especially for the, for the first timers and stuff, because when you're first in it, that's when you have that time, you know, you're learning, get in the park. I always recommend get in the park and, you know, know it, learn how to do stuff. Um, you know, spend the time researching and educating yourself on it because it, it those little nuggets, they, they stick with you. And then they, you know, when you have to handle a, a larger issue comes across. I think I, there's a, there's a quote I'm trying, I'll try to think of it here, but that, that, that kind of covers that, that I really like is something like success comes from, good judgment good judgment comes from experience experience comes from bad judgment uh, so you know I, I tell my team all the time like you know mistakes happen but make smart mistakes and what i think are smart mistakes is you learn from them and you never make them again what frustrates me is dumb mistakes which means it's the second or third or fifth time you've made the same mistake and and then you know we had one issue where um the rent increase didn't get properly entered into rent manager as a recurring charge. It was like, Hey, rents go up 20 bucks. They made it for next month. Well, then month after it wasn't applied. So the people didn't tell us, Hey, your rent's low. So then we got our, I look at the P and L and I was like, why is our revenue down? We have full collections of this park. Why is it down? Well, it was down because our, it went up for one month and went back down. So the good employees would say, Hmm, that didn't get entered properly as a recurring charge. That was a mistake. And one lady in particular, she said, I'm going to go look at the other parks to see if the same, if the, if the manager for those parks made the same mistake, like those that, level of correlation that, that, yeah, that is, that is using your brain, you know, where, where another employee in, in her region did, Oh, and we must've made a mistake on one property. Well, then like two weeks later, we're like, it happened on the other property. 
you had five properties and you you entered them inc incorrectly on two, but you didn't think to go look at all five to like self audit. And then it sounds like, do I have to do that thinking for you? That's that's not good for your career trajectory. You know, you want to be the person that is, you know, I, I jokingly say, and I'm joking is as an attorney, people hire us to solve problems, but really what they hire us for, they don't even know what it is. Sometimes I'll say, Dustin, here's the solution. And you're, you could be like, what do you mean solution? I'm like, to the problem that you haven't noticed yet. And, and that's when I'm adding value is if I'm recognizing problems become, before they become problems and then proposing solutions. And that's, that's critical thinking and you know foreshadowing. And it's hard to get that out of everyone, but I really think that that's, that's a key area. You know, and, then, and you mentioned in real estate, you, you have the opportunity to do that. You know, you can you can solve a problem, you can foreshadow and see a problem and solve it before it becomes a big problem. And I think I think you're right. That's something really cool about real estate in general. But one way to get there is exactly what you said, and that is be in the park. Yeah. These, these guys that these guys that never see their parks. Um, I don't get it. I mean, some people are like, yeah, I, I go, I look at my park. I sold a park and, and we, you know, we manage it for them, these guys. So I guess that that helps them. But they looked at the park one time during due diligence and then in the next four years they never set foot on it again and, wow. I, and they had and they had a competent manager i guess to get away with it but I, I see operators that do that they're like yeah i look at it once and then i hire a manager i'm like <laughs> if you're if you're do comfortable that. doing that if your investors are you know comfortable with that but uh i don't i love calling my investors that's a good point i, I have one <laughs> investor in particular i talked to him a couple weeks ago and, he, and he's like oh it sounds like you're in the road i go I'm watching your investment. I just left. I'm two hours from, I'm driving home. And it was like six o'clock on a Friday night. And I'm like, I just left. I'm going to be home at eight. And he's like, nice. So I was like, I'm watching your investment. And they're like, cool. You actually visit. You mean you really, you really, you really do go. I'm like, of course I really go. And I don't go every day or every week, but I go when I think it's necessary. And then, and then sometimes I just go strategically, you know, if I'm going to Illinois for a family matter, I'll make stops along the way. What other lessons or uh, strategies can you share? Well, I can have the being proactive instead of reactive. That, that's the, I think that's either a, a learned, like some people naturally have that, but some, sometimes uh, it needs to be learned. And what I mean by proactive is taking the initiative to do things and making decisions not with the um, not focusing on the fear aspect of it, because, like you said, you know, if, if you have something that, that happens, learning experience, chalk it up, move on, keep on going. So I find that lots of people who get in trouble or get stuck with things is uh, they're, they're more reactive, waiting for things to happen and then responding instead of really going out and and taking charge of the situation and stuff and, and possibly making the wrong decisions. You know, I think that's overall true. I think even with, with, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of friends that just for years have been watching me grow and, and do all this. And they never stepped in hundreds of thousand dollars in the bank now. Well, now it's not worth that much, but, uh, you know, because they could they could never uh, take that little initial plunge, even with with a small amount. You know, to to get moving forward because they were too worried about what if, what if, what if. So it reminds me of another quote that I think a quote I heard years ago was, "You can have 
you can have excuses or you can have results, but not both. And, and I, and when our one was like, you can, you know, you, you have to take action, you know, being, I have, I have one friend in particular, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And all the guy does is learn. I mean, he, 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 every business book I've read, he's also read every novel. My wife has read. He's also read every religious book, either my wife or I've read, he's also read. And then a hundred, I'm like, he, 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 he's a super fast reader. I mean, he reads something like, I think he reads like a book every other day and has for 40 years. So, and he, and he retains it. So he's just, he's just wow. a genius, but he never takes action. So he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. You know, I'm thinking about starting a business or I'm thinking about doing this on the side and, and he'll, I'll meet with him. And I frankly, I've quit meeting with them because it's always, it's like a waste of time. It's like, you are so ready. You, you know more about, you know, another guy, he's like, I've listened to every one of your podcast episodes twice. And I was like, <laughs> why, why haven't you made an offer on a mobile home park? He's like, well, I haven't, you haven't found the right deal. I'm like, no, you, you haven't, you haven't found the courage to take the action or take the risk. You are, you are smarter than the majority of operators and you've never operated. You just need to take that leap and, and be an active not, participant in your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. sounds Live like the same life. thing with your, some of your friends. I mean, you know, I remember when I read rich dad, poor dad, uh, first time he, Robert Kiyosaki says something along the lines of you're going to have to, you're going to have new friends. And he's like, the reason is, is when you, when you start making yourself better, you start taking risk, you start making more money, you start uh, accomplishing things some of your friends are not going to like that because they can't keep up or they won't keep up. So then they, they, they hear you saying I'm better than you when and you're not saying that you're saying I'm getting better. And then they recognize that they're not. And you, you, you happen to lose some friends. And I've, and I, over time, I've noticed that where, you know, some of my friends, I'm like, we sit there and have, you know, enlightening discussions on, the stuff you're not supposed to talk about, right? You know, money, politics, religion. And other friends are like, oh, hey, hey let's just talk about the Royals. I'm like, who cares about the Royals? You know, I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I, that, that, and now you got to have leisure too. You got to have leisure yeah. too, right? But I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that like, all they all they do is leisure. That's, their, that's, how, that's the only way their brain works is, you know, I'm like, you guys, don't you guys want to learn? Did you not? You not have opinion, an opinion on the Ukraine Russia issue? You don't have an opinion on tax policy. You, are you not monitoring inflation? And you know they're like, I don't know if there's inflation or not, or I don't care, or I can't do anything about it. Like, okay, that doesn't mean you shouldn't think about it. You should, you know, and and I and I think that's part of what separates successful business people is they they they, they think the about this stuff. Say that again. Getting rid of the static. Yeah. There, there's so much noise and distractions and everything going on that that lots of people can't uh, they can't realize and pull out of things like the what's important, you know, what's the the you know the value of this or what you know or what's just a distraction and you know pointless. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into it, but. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. We'll keep it on track. Well, but, oh, let me touch real quick. You, you yeah. said uh, some, some things about that back to my proactive reactive. And one of the things was, is when I was uh, at a previous airline, I upgraded to captain and I was uh, going to go up to, I was based in Detroit and up in Detroit. What, 
lots of people don't know this, but over 50% of your pilots and flight attendants, they don't live where they're based at. They live in another city. Some of them live in other countries and they commute in. So what they do to cut costs is kind of like a, a boarding house where you stay in a crash pad. And the crash pad, depending on where it is, has bunk beds. And, you know, I mean, there was one up in Jamaica, Queens that I think they shut down. And I think that was like, a, I think they had like 50 beds in there. Definite in one room, fire. in one room, like a barracks or something? Definite fire hazard. No, it had like a, a building and, you know, with a basement and just, you know, line it up with beds and, you know, hmm. random stuff like that. So, it, so I, I stayed in one of those. It wasn't a pleasurable experience. And it was, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, there, there's two things going for me here. Number one, I think I could do this better. And the second thing was, uh, you know, I think the market, there, there's definitely uh, room for me in the market. So after staying in this place a couple months, hell, two months later, I had two houses with over 30 beds. Uh, I bought cars and full of airline crew, even had a couple uh, mechanics and stuff like that. Hmm. Went great when I was over there. The only thing is it was very uh, management intensive, you know, to keep things going. And once I was able to, to leave Detroit and get based in another base as a, as a captain, I tried to do it remotely. And it was just, you know, it's something that can't really be done remotely unless you have a professional manager. So I didn't go up there for a few months and then I came up and wow, it was, it was a, people had uh, sectioned off uh, parts of the living room and the basement with sheets because they didn't want to sleep with other people. And it was just, you know, the, the cars were trashed, the house was dirty and a mess. There was, you know, but uh, you, were, was, you were kind of running a, the, the original Airbnb, it sounds like, but yeah. by the bed and you, you were providing, you said you were providing cars, you know, community cars, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, I mean, there's still tons of them all around. And that was a really, uh, that was a good thing and stuff. And the market really has shifted because now if you look at all the, all the new companies and stuff coming out and they're always talking about um, kind of like, what is the house sharing? And, you know, like the, for startup guys, they have, what, are they, what do they call them? The incubator houses or whatever, where yeah. a bunch of guys will get in that, stay in the house because they can motivate each other. And so it's, a, yeah, it's a so different niche, but uh, it was great. Learned a lot from it. I bet that definitely is a but unique. Be, be proactive with it, you know, make decisions, do stuff. Don't sit back and wait for things to happen. Good tip. Good tip. Anything else you want to share before we, before we jump? And if not, how can people find you, Dustin? Um, I do have a website. A company that I run is called Jet Setter Capital. Uh, www.jetsettercapital.com. Uh, I have a password protected on it. The password is Mario, capital M, and then A-R-I-O. Uh, I'm currently over in Israel right now. So I will get back with you if you guys ever, you know, try to give me a call or, or email me and stuff like that. You have to think I'm, I'm seven hours time frame difference and from the East coast. And I'm, you know, constantly going back and forth to the States, but yeah, feel free to reach out and stuff. I'm always, uh, always excited to chat about real estate. All right, man. Well, thanks again, Dustin. I appreciate it.
All right. Perd, thank you very much for your time. Likewise. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.